This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship and to praise you, Lord. I pray for the next little while that you would help us to focus on you, to see you very clearly, Lord, to see you high and lifted up, and to see your word in a way that transforms our lives. Father, I pray that we would leave here changed, transform more into the image of your Son. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to week four of our Generation 1-8 sermon series, To the Ends of the Earth. We started this series several weeks ago, and we're calling it Generation 1-8 based on the teaching in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. But we're using the word generation because I believe this is the generation that for the first time in the history of the world actually has the ability and the possibility to reach the world for Christ. We have the resources, we have the technology with the internet and, and Facebook and multimedia, all the different things at our disposal. This, for the first time in the history of the world, I believe, is the generation that literally could reach the world for Christ. And so we started this sermon series several weeks ago. We looked at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We looked at Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 13 and we looked at the story of Paul and Barnabas called by the church called by the Holy Spirit to go to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And we said that when it comes to mission work based on Acts chapter 13, you've got two choices. You can either go or you can send. But if you don't go, you need to send. And if you don't send, you need to go. There's really no third option. You can't just sit on the pew and do nothing. And so we talked about the importance of being involved in some way this week. We're going to continue our study in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at Paul's first missionary journey. Now, I wanted to delve into his first missionary journey, and we're going to study that for the next several weeks for one very clear reason. Many of you are considering for the first time in your life your first missionary journey. You're considering going to Guatemala. Maybe you're considering doing some other mission projects, some other things locally, or some, some other places God has called you to go, but you're praying about it, you're considering it, you're trying to work out your finances to see if you can go. And so I wanted to study for the next few weeks Paul's first missionary journey to see what we can learn. Now, it's an interesting study, but kind of here's the bottom line I want you to understand that's going to kind of frame our discussion this morning. When you step out on faith to do the work of Christ and to share the gospel with the lost and dying world, when you do that, opposition will come. When you step out on faith and you decide that you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world, when you do that, opposition will come. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open Acts chapter 13 this morning. We're going to look at Paul's first missionary journey. And we're going to examine the opposition that Paul and Barnabas and John, their helper, faced as they began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. So Acts chapter 13 this morning, we'll begin in verse 4. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. The two of them, now that's Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them, 
as their helper. Now, this idea of proclaiming the gospel is what Paul and Barnabas are going to begin to do. That's going to kind of become the standard for them. Now, I think we've got a map. Would you pop that map up on the screen for us just a second? I wanted you to see exactly what Paul and Barnabas were going to do. Now, we read last week in Acts chapter 13 that the church in Antioch sent them. So they leave Antioch, which is just north. If you see down at the bottom, Judea, right below, above that is Jerusalem. Okay, the Jordan River's right there. If you can see it up to the north, about 300 miles is Antioch. That's the church that called Barnabas and Saul. And for the first time in the history of the world, we see a, a local church that's calling someone to go into the world to reach the world for Christ. So they leave Antioch, they go to Seleucia, which is, there you go, which is a port city. From there, they sail to Salamis. They're going to walk across the island of Cyprus, which is in the Mediterranean, eventually to Paphos, which is the capital city. So that's where they're located physically. Now let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 13. So they traveled through the whole island until they came to Patphos. That's the capital city. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them, there's that word, and tried to turn the proconsul from his faith. And we'll stop there for a few minutes. For the first time in the history of the world, a local church has caught the vision in Antioch to send missionaries into the world to share Christ. So we see Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, going on this missionary journey to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we follow their pattern from Antioch on to the island of Cyprus, as they walk across Cyprus and they share the gospel, we see that their first encounter is with a sorcerer. And so for the next few minutes, I want to think about and talk about this idea of opposition. Because when you decide to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are going to face opposition. So there's some things I want to look at in this passage of Scripture. There's some truths that I want to draw out to understand. And the first thing I want you to see as we think about Paul and Barnabas in this missionary journey is that when you go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, number one, you need to expect opposition. <laughs> you see that? You need to expect opposition. The question is not if Satan will attack. The question is when and how. The question is not if, the question is when and how. Now Paul became very accustomed to opposition. Paul became a very accustomed to the difficult things of life as he traveled in his missionary journey. So if you were to read through the New Testament and you were to read the letters of Paul and his writings, you would see, I've made a list here, that Paul was rejected, he was cursed, he was abandoned, he was beaten, he was whipped, stoned, ridiculed, arrested, and imprisoned. Now, as I read through some of the writings of Paul and I, I read this list, I ask myself this question. If I were in Paul's shoes in the first century and I dealt with this sort of persecution, this sort of opposition, I wonder how I would have responded. And here's where I kind of arrive in my brain as I try to think through this. I, I wonder at what point I would have said, enough's enough. <laughs> I can't do this anymore, Lord. You called me to do this and I was faithful and I went, but now I'm, I'm being persecuted and, and rejected and stoned and put in prison. How many nights do I have to spend in jail, Lord? 
How many times do people have to mock me? How many times do people have to make fun of me? And then I read Paul's response. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. You don't have to flip there, but you, you need to make a note of it. Paul speaking of all of his sufferings and all the ways that he had been oppressed. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, that's the Lord. So the Lord said to Paul, listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that makes no sense to us physically, does it? (laughs) How can we delight in insults? How can we delight in hardships? How can we delight in weaknesses and persecutions and difficulties? Paul says that when I encounter this opposition, it's only through the power of Jesus Christ that I have strength. But see, Paul was expectant of this. This was something that happened to him over and over and over and over again. It's interesting, if you read through the book of Acts, every time the gospel was brought to a new place. Every time the gospel was preached for the first time in a new land, the apostles and those that preached met opposition. Acts chapter 8, the gospel goes into Samaria, and Simon the sorcerer, who was demon-possessed, encountered the group and opposed the group. Peter had to rebuke him. Acts chapter 16, the scripture says that the word of God for the first time goes into Philippi. And when the word of God goes into Philippi, they met a slave girl who was demon-possessed. Eventually, Paul had to rebuke her. She was trying to stop the spread of the gospel. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 13 with Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer. When the word of God encountered the people of Cyprus, and when Paul and Barnabas began to preach, the opposition occurred, right? Paul expected opposition to occur. And when we read this, and we think about the first century, we, we remember some of these stories, and we understand some of these stories. But here's a warning for us today. You need to listen to this. Not only did opposition occur in the first century, but opposition is still happening today. Opposition to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still happening today. So I spent some time this week doing some research. I went out and I found some articles about persecution in the world. And and I didn't download the whole article, although I read a lot of the articles. But I want to give you just the title, just the headline of a few of the articles that I read this week. Muslim Radicals. Wage religious war on Christians in Africa. Religious intolerance in Indonesia is getting worse. Vietnamese Christians assaulted by thugs and government officials. Police in India force a pastor to sign a statement promising to stop prayer services. On and on and on the list goes. And the more I read, the more disturbed I became. And the more I read about persecution, the more I just couldn't believe all the opposition that's in this world to Christianity. And then I started reading some other articles. I started reading about persecution in America. So here's some headlines I want you to hear. These are from American newspapers. Man facing jail... Now these are all in the last few weeks. Man facing jail time for hosting a Bible study in his home in Arizona. Police chaplains told to stop invoking or praying to Jesus in North Carolina. Children in New York City shouted at and mocked 
by angry adults as they sing, God bless the USA. Now, that's on YouTube. I watched it. If you want to know where it is, you come talk to me after. I'll give you the link, and you need to go watch it. It's unbelievable. These kids, these elementary school kids are trying to sing God bless the USA. Got their little flags out, and these adults are literally cursing them out on the streets in New York. It's unbelievable. But see, here's the the problem with, with so many Christians. We don't expect opposition, do we? We're just unaware oftentimes of what's going on, so we kind of put our blinders on. And we, we do our little thing, and we go to our jobs, and we go home, and we, we eat, and we get up the next morning, and we do it again. On Sunday mornings, we come, and we sing a few songs, and maybe we go to Sunday school class, and we start the week over on Monday. All the while, we're totally oblivious to the opposition that surrounds us. One writer says it like this, Our defenses must be in place at all times. An army who waits until they are under attack to take up a defensive position is likely to have insufficient time to fully take up those positions. The advantage of surprise attack has been proved many times throughout military history. It's so for spiritual attack. And our defenses need to be in place at all times. You see, we need to, as we share the gospel as a church, as we share the gospel as individuals, we need to expect opposition. Let me remind you of 1 Peter 5, 8. Listen to this. Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because the devil, excuse me, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You hear that? He's not passive. He's active. And he's looking for somebody to devour. Now here's what we have as we kind of think through this a little bit. We've got a devil who is interested in defeating you and destroying you and attacking you on any level. And we've got Christians who are oblivious oftentimes to the attacks. Right? We've got Christians who have no idea that this opposition even occurs. And we wonder why we struggle so often. We wonder why we're having such a hard time living the life that Christ has called us to live. We need to expect opposition in our lives. Now look at verse 9. Let's see what happens next. So here, here's the, the, the sorcerer that comes up to oppose him, verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul. Saul is the Jewish name. Paul is the Roman name. After this point, he'll not be called Saul again. He'll be referred to as Paul. So Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit, and trickery, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So see, not only does Paul expect opposition, but when he sees it, number two, Paul recognizes opposition. See, not only do we need to expect opposition to come, but we need to recognize the opposition when it occurs. I want you to notice what Paul does here in verse 9 and 10. Paul doesn't miss the truth of who this man is. Paul doesn't buy into the lies of the sorcery and of the prophets and of all the things that this man's saying. Paul looks right beyond the lies and he sees to the core of who this man is. And so he describes him like this. You're a child of the devil. You're an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of deceit. You're full of trickery. Ultimately, he says, you're trying to pervert the ways of the Lord. This is opposition It's trying to stop Paul and Barnabas from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized very clearly what he was doing. Now, here's what we need to understand about this opposition. The devil, believe it or not, is not dumb. (laughs) 
You know the pictures of the devil with the horns and the little pitchfork, the red guy? You know, you know that's not real, right? You know that's not true? We see the devil and, oh, yeah, the devil's over here and the angel's over here. Which one do I do, right? The devil is a powerful being, an incredibly intelligent being. And I want you to notice what the devil does here. He, he doesn't take this sorcerer and make him the, the helper of some nobody, right? He just go off into this village and nobody will ever see you again. The devil takes this bar Jesus, man, this false sorcerer. And, and verse 7 says this, he was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, was the governor. Now you see what the devil's done here? He's infiltrating the highest level of government power. You see that? He's not dumb. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where he can attack you. He knows where he can defeat you. He knows where he needs to put people in place in order to win the victory. Paul saw through that, you see? Paul not only expected the opposition, but he recognized the opposition. He knew it when he saw it. But here's the problem with believers. Oftentimes we have no idea that anything's even going on, do we? We don't recognize the opposition. We don't recognize the sinfulness. We don't recognize all the problems that surround us. And so you've got the devil that's intelligent and trying to attack us. You've got believers who have no idea what's going on. We're walking around with blinders. And we wonder why he's attacking us and winning so often. We wonder why we can't be successful as believers. We wonder why the church can't prosper in so many different ways. It's because we're not aware, we're not recognizing the opposition that the devil is throwing at us. See, the Bible talks about Satan as the father of lies. And so here's what he tries to do when he opposes you. He tricks you into believing things that aren't true. And so here's what he says to you. He says things like this. You don't, you don't need to go on that mission trip. What, what, if, the, what if the plane crashes? Right? Or, or what if you get down there and you eat something and get really sick? Or what if you get down there and one of your family members has an emergency and you're stuck thousands of miles away from him and you can't see him and something bad happens? What if you can't come up with the money to go? And so what the devil's doing is he's feeding you these lies. He's instilling fear in your heart. You see that? He's giving you anxiety. He's giving you doubt. That's not Christ. That's the devil. Or maybe he comes to you and he says something like this. Do you really think you can share the gospel in Guatemala? Do you really think you can go to Romania? You can't even share the gospel with your coworker. Don't even think about going to Guatemala. You're hopeless. God can't use you. You remember what you did all those years ago? You remember what you did last week? God can't use you. Those are lies of the devil. Or he comes in and he, he spreads disunity within churches, right? And he gets church members mad at each other because of something somebody said or something somebody did or a church splits over the color of the carpet, right? Or, or he gets in and he, he causes all these problems within these churches and disunity is spread. Those are not the things of Christ. Those are the things of the devil. And the problem is we don't recognize it. And so we just let it come in. And we let it infiltrate our lives and we let it infiltrate our hearts and we let it infiltrate our churches and the devil begins to lie to us. And trick us and deceive us, and we're unaware. You say, well, that's, that's great. I, I need to be more aware, but what do I do? How do I recognize the opposition? Well, one of the things you need to do is be more alert. You need to be alert for what the devil's doing. I had the opportunity several years ago to, to do some hiking and backpacking on the Appalachian Trail, and we hiked for several days and carried everything with us, and we found out. 
when it was a little too late to change the trip, that the section of the Appalachian Trail just south of us had been shut down because of bears. <laughs> now, that's a fun thing to learn as you're about to get out of the car and hike for three days on the Appalachian Trail. Now, you can imagine as we're hiking on the trail and we knew that there were bears in the area, we were alert. So, I mean, I'm, every time a stick moves, right, I mean, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking up trees and ridges and, you know, is that a bear, was that a bear? Why? Because we understood there was opposition, right? We were aware of it and we knew what to look for. And so we were alert. You say, I don't even, I don't even know what opposition looks like. Oftentimes it's sinfulness in our lives. And so we need to spend more time reading the Word of God to understand what that opposition looks like, to understand how the devil works, to understand his schemes and his lies and his tricks that he'll throw at us. We need to rely more on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting in verse 9 that the Bible says that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked right at this man and he saw and he understood. We don't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit oftentimes. We rely on our own power. We've seen this passage of Scripture that we need to be not only alert and expect opposition, we need to recognize it when it comes. Now look at verse 11 as we move through this passage this morning. Paul speaking now to this false prophet. Paul says this, now the hand of the Lord is against you. Now look at what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, now my hand is against you. (laughs) Paul doesn't say, you better watch out, dude, because I'm coming after you. Paul says, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. And for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him By the hand. Not only do we need to expect opposition, not only do we need to recognize it when we see it, but thirdly, we need to boldly rebuke opposition, just like Paul did. We need to boldly rebuke opposition, just like Paul did. Now, if you were to study through the Old Testament, especially, there are all sorts of examples of the Lord fighting the battle for his people. You see, we we run into this opposition sometimes, and if we do recognize it, and we do see the sinfulness in our lives, or we do see the devil trying to stop us from doing something, and we try in our own power to defeat it. We try in our own power to fix it. Well, that's not the model of Scripture. So we see examples like Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, when the children of Israel had fled from Egypt. They'd gone to the Red Sea. They were up against the coast, and the Egyptian army was quickly coming in behind them, pursuing them, about to kill them, and they had no place to go. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 14, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see will never see you again. Now listen to what Moses says. For the Lord will fight for you. You see that? It's not about the Israelites fighting for themselves. The Lord will fight for you. For you. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7 and 8. Be courageous and strong. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him is far. There's, for there is a greater power with us than with him. And with him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. There it is again. Maybe the best example of this is is found with David before he became king. You remember the story of David. He's just a little shepherd boy. And he's tending the flocks while his brothers go to war. And dad one day says, hey son, David, you need to take some food to your brothers up at the front line. 
And so David takes his food up to his brothers. And when he gets there, the Bible says that his brothers kind of mocked him. Why are you here? You're just a runt. You're not good for anything, right? And while David's there, he notices there's this huge Philistine giant named Goliath. And Goliath would step out and he would laugh at the Israelite army. Who's going to fight me today, right? And he would mock their God. And every time he challenged one of the army, one of the fighters for the, for the, uh, for the army of the Israelites, the, the men of Israel would shriek back in fear. And nobody would go fighting. And so, so David's out there one day and he sees the giant. David's like, I'll fight him. <laughs> I'll go fight him. And Saul, the king, says, no, no, David, 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 no, no, no. He'll kill you, David. You can't go fight this giant. And David says, well, listen, I'm with sheep and I've killed bears and lions and I'll go fight Goliath. And the Bible says that Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head and David fastened, fastened on his sword over the tunic and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now, here's David, right? He's not a soldier. He's taken off the armor now to go fight this giant. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now listen to what David says. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The gods of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And then verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. You see, Paul understood that. Paul understood that opposition and the power of that opposition. And when he recognized that opposition, he rebuked that opposition, not in his own power, but in the power of the Lord. He said, in the name of the Lord, you'll be blind and you won't be able to see. In the name of the Lord, you'll stumble around in the darkness. See, we try to fight our own battles oftentimes, and the Scripture teaches us, if we'll just allow God to work, if we'll just seek the power of the Holy Spirit, He'll fight those battles for us. But maybe the most interesting part of this passage is verse 12. Let me, let me conclude by reading it this morning. Verse 12 says this, When the proconsul, that's the governor, saw what had happened, he believed. He believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Sometimes in the greatest opposition we find the greatest works of God. Sometimes when it's the most difficult we find the greatest rewards. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may know his name, was a German pastor and theologian that lived years before World War II. And as World War II began... He actively opposed the Nazis and he actively opposed Adolf Hitler and he, he preached and wrote against them. And you can imagine because of, his, because of his stance against the German government, he was arrested and eventually on April the 9th, 1945, 1945, he was executed. But here's what he wrote before he died. He said, The Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies in the end, all his disciples abandoned him. On the cross, he was all alone. 
surrounded by criminals and the jeering crowds. He had come for the express purpose of bringing peace to the enemies of God. So Christians too belong not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the midst of enemies. There they find their mission, their work. You know, it's easy for us to shrink back from the opposition. It's easy for us to ignore it and to not think about it and to not do anything with it. When we study this passage of Scripture, we see that not only will we face opposition, not only will we see opposition, we need to recognize it and rebuke it. And we have to understand this very clearly. No matter how difficult it may seem, we are called to go. Because oftentimes it's in the greatest opposition that we find the greatest need for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the ability to study your word and for a country that allows us to worship freely. Father, we pray that this text would speak to our hearts and to our minds. Very clearly, Lord, we would be more aware and alert to the opposition of the devil as he prowls around looking to destroy us, Father. We pray you would help us to see the opposition, to recognize it very clearly, to expect it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to rebuke it. And Lord, we pray you do great things through us. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for just a few minutes to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray about your role in missions or your role in this church, or your place of service, or what God's called you to do, or maybe you want to join this church, or maybe for the first time in your life you've come to the realization that you're a sinner, and you need to repent from your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But this is your time right now. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.